Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Years ago, I got into chess. Any of you guys like, like chess? Oh, we got some strategists here. I got into it because I noticed that it's a game that you couldn't just play, roll the dice, and you move. You have to really think. It's very cognitive, very strategic. And I noticed that as I was learning, and I was, by all means, even then, I was a brand new player, but I'm very observant. I watch how people play. Personality shows up in playing chess. I don't know if you guys noticed. It's not just about the strategy. It's how they move. How, so I noticed that um, like my personality, I'm very fast, aggressive, and impatient. And so I play chess <clears throat> like attacking. And then there are people who take all the time in the world. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like I lose patience just watching them think. And then, so I was playing this one, one friend. He would just study the board too long, wouldn't even touch. And then when he finally moves, he wouldn't let go. Because he might just change his person, you know, mind. I'm going, you know. So personality shows up. Oh, but I really hated playing with him because, I mean, if we were like so different. I'm moving, and the way I would move is I would force people to move in response. Because I'm, it's almost like an exchange. I sacrifice mine to take yours, and, and that's how I... He just moved his pieces around and as if he didn't want any of my pieces. He's just, he's just there, <laughs> wasting time. And it was just like... And then I realized that was his strategy. One, to get on my nerves. <laughs> but two, he was positioning his pieces so that I could not move. It wasn't about me forcing him to move. It was that he positioned. Even when I didn't think he had a strategy, he was strategizing. Do you guys understand that? Yeah. That was a big picture. And then when it hit me, I was like, oh my gosh, he set me up. He's been playing me all along, and I didn't even know it. And I, that's when I figured out the brilliant players are strategizing, are making the things move even when you didn't think that they were. There were things that he wasn't moving, and he was moving it. Just by the placement, waiting. And then I realized, ooh, He's smarter than me. <laughs> We're coming to an end of our sermon series in the, in the book of Joshua. We have gone from Joshua 1 all the way through here in chapter 21. And, you know, it, it's been exciting because I want to come back to expository preaching. Come back to exposing the text for you guys and for you guys to know, not just the historical account, but to see how even the ancient text can matter be applicable, how it's relevant for us. And thank you for your feedback. So 
it's, so far it's been pretty good, I think. Um, but it's interesting because as we have been moving to this chapter, and if you remember, chapter 15 to 21 in this text, it's like Joshua is near his death. He's over 100 years old. The Lord said, you are getting old, like saying that obviously when you're 100 years old. Joshua, you're getting old. It's time. Distribute the land because I have ordained you to be the cause for people to inherit the land. And so from chapters, we went through the geography, right? We shared about who got what, what tribe, the 12 tribes, or 12 portions. And we arrive in chapter 21, but do you know that out of the 12 tribes of Israel, who did not get the portions of the land? Levites. Well, good. I, I love it when people know the Bible. The Levites. It, it, it's interesting because there are 12 brothers who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so there are 12 portions of the land. So you think it's the 12 brothers. But it's not because Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Who got the two portions. But that makes 11 brothers. One tribe, the Levites, did not get the portion. So we arrive in chapter 21, and the Levites are like, it's our turn. And that's where we have. But I want us to look at the text of why the Levites did not get a portion. But what God did in taking that why and turn it into a blessing. Do you guys understand? There are people in our lives, people on this earth who will move the pieces. We can curse it. And then God will take that curse and work it for his glory. And then you realize, oh, he's smarter than me. He's bigger than me. He can do things that I didn't even know he could do. And I want to show you that's what happened with the Levites. Okay? So, um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, we'll get to chapter 21, but let me go a little bit further back, okay? Let's start from the beginning. So, uh, if you remember, Levi was a third son. He's one of the ten sons from Leah, if you remember. So, Jacob had a couple of wives, but Leah, and he was a third and if you remember why, and this is a couple of sermons back, I, I shared about what Levi did, why he was cursed. And that was um, their little sister, Dinah, got raped. There's no w- nice way of saying it. The guy forced himself, took the girl, then had the audacity to ask her in marriage. All the sign that says he was the wrong guy, right? <laughs> you marry and then take the fruit of the marriage. Not force yourself to take what's not yours and then say, hey, let's get married. No, he's a wrong guy. So um, the brothers manipulated the situation, deceived that whole tribe, tricked them, they got circumcised, and then they went and killed the whole town. It was a massacre. Again, there is no nice way of saying it. Levi was a murderer along with his brother Simeon. So the father, Jacob, Israel, on his deathbed said this. You know, when you're on a deathbed, you often you bless. 
and share your inheritance. Tell your sons how much you love them. He lived in the lasting words. No, this is what he did. Genesis 49.5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory. Not be joined to their company. He's basically disowning them on his deathbed. Oh, my glory, not be joined to the company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. It's not bad enough that they killed people, but they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So here's the curse and the consequence of their sin. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The final words about his son. I don't see any blessings there. I just see a curse. You guys see that? It's pretty obvious. That was what the father prophesied, said of his own son. And I, I remember when I last shared that uh, in my sermon, uh, a, a sister approached me and goes, but how could God take someone like him, a murderer, who slaughter people and call him into priesthood, right? And, and that's a deep question. And my immediate response was, that's grace. Because, I mean, gosh, I did a lot of stupid things, and God called me to be pastor for his people, and that's crazy enough. And that is nothing short of grace, gift that we don't deserve, honor that we don't deserve. That was my immediate response. But was that all? That was my question. I, I dug deeper. And, and these are the questions that forces you to look deeper. What happened? Is that the right answer? Grace. Because it sure sounds good. Uh, but then when we look at Exodus chapter 32, Exodus 32 was when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. He was spending time with God, right? It was good. He was glorious. And he's having, but then the people down below were like, When's Moses coming back? He might be dead. He's not coming back. We're kind of afraid. We need a leader. We need God. We need... That's where they were. So they forced Aaron to make a golden calf. So everybody's pitching in. There are golden rings and everything else. They melt it down. Oh, boom, there's a calf. I don't know what happened. But that's kind of how they explain. We just melted it down. There it was, a golden calf. Um, and now they're having a rave party. They're getting naked, jumping around the fire, dancing before the golden calf. And if there's any way to anger God, this was it. God was like, uh, Moses, you better get, get down there. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to consider. They are stiff-necked. I should have never saved them. I'm going to start first. I'm going to just wipe them out and start with you. And Moses intercede, intervenes and says, Lord, just come on. He intercedes on the behalf of the Israelites, gives them a second chance, and so God relents. Then Moses goes down. Then he sees for himself this rave party happening, and now he gets angry. He goes, I'm going to wipe them all out, right? So he gets the anger of the Lord. He's like, oh my gosh, how stiff-necked are you guys? It's saying the exact same thing the Lord says. But here's what Moses did. In that moment, he stood up at the base of the camp, at the gate where the decisions are made of the camp. He says, who's for me? Who's with the Lord? And the people who responded stood in righteousness. I want you to get this. 
Exodus 32, 26, the, Moses asked, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. When Moses put up an altar call, who's for the Lord? Who's for his righteousness? Who's going to go to the promised land in his righteousness? Who's going to obey? Stand up. It was the Levites who stood. It was the Levites who was willing to do the hard thing, including killing their own brothers, tribes, cousins. The tough things. But they believed in obedience to the Lord more than going along with what everyone else is doing. You, you guys know, that's the problem with this culture. We stop fighting and do the easy thing and go with the flow as opposed to doing the right thing. And the, it was the Levites who stood up. They responded to the altar call. You know, we don't do much altar call at the church anymore. You guys notice that? I don't know if you've seen or you've grown up in the church. I got saved in fall of 92, and the church that I started attending, there was altar calls. And there were times that I stood up in repentance because there was a response from that invitation to where I was. Stand up if you're going to pray. Stand up if you need prayer. Stand up. And we responded. But over time, I noticed the altar call happen less frequently, less often. Because as the altar call was being asked, people stopped standing up. They said, oh, come on, that makes us too uncomfortable. Raise your hand instead of to stand up. I, there, there were some adjustments and were less frequency of these altar calls because it got to a point where it was uncomfortable for the asker to ask, it was uncomfortable for the hearer to hear. So the altar call has diminished because people said, started thinking, I don't need to listen to that guy. I don't need to stand up. This is my private moment with God. If I'm going to repent, I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need to stand up and tell the whole world that I've been in sin. I can do it with God. And therefore, the culture has shifted away from the altar calls. But did you know that how we respond in the physical affirms what we say we believe in the spiritual? What we do in the natural, in our physical body, is in coincide with what we say we believe. James said this often in the whole book of his, in, in his letter, that you show me faith by your actions, by your works. He, he often used the word works, but we're, here's talking about action. It's not about your salvation, but it is about showing what you say you believe. You say you believe? Good. Even the devil shudders. Ooh. So what? But show me your faith by your actions. In fact, I have this scripture here. James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The works there is show it by action. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is why here at the resting place, if you say you are a believer, you are members of this body, we ask you to serve. Not because it's going to give you salvation, not because we consider you more righteous, because our actions 
speak louder than what we say we believe. Because we are here on a mission in this city for lost, found, found free, peace, reign. And that takes effort, not just faith, but action, right? And say, if you believe in this mission, you're going to join in the action. And we ask servants. And, and the whole church in, in our culture is 80-20 rule. 20% doing 80% of the work in the church. That's so messed up. It should be 100% participation. If we say we are believers, there is active involvement with a mission of God. There's an active participation. There is an active movement to say what we believe. Because James says, you say you believe, that's great. But so does the devil. What does that say? What's the difference? Our actions speak louder than what we say we believe. The Levites stood up. And God was pleased. Levites stood up to the call of that righteousness, and he says, and the Lord was pleased. And so the Lord declared, he will call the Levites as his consecrated ones. Numbers 3.11, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both the man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So if you remember the Passover and you remember the account in Egypt, the plague, the final plague was killing of the firstborn. The Lord declared, all the firstborn of the Israelites are mine. Consecrate them. You guys remember that? Okay. But here on that Mount Sinai, sort of the relationship, the Lord is pleased with the Levites, and it says, instead of the firstborn, I'm going to give that honor to the Levites. I'm going to consecrate them. I'm going to appoint them. Set them apart for my works, my holy works. Here's what that means. The Levites, even though they were cursed, the Lord says, I'm going to take that curse and I'm going to make you my consecrated ones, my anointed ones. You are going to be my worship leaders. You're going to be my priests. You're going to be in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle. Then that later becomes a, uh, the temple. Everything related with God's holy worship and the sacrifices and praising, everything that honors the Lord, that is the heaven on earth, that's the tabernacle and the temple account, that is to be a replication, it was the anointed ones, the Levites, who were appointed for such a position. It was a position of honor, let me tell you. It was not everybody can do it, only certain people that God says, they are my anointed ones. It was a huge privilege. And God was taking these cursed group of people and says, they are my consecrated anointed ones because they stood up to the response. You guys with me? So, I, I, I love this because it gives me hope. It's not just grace. It's not just grace that God forgives and he turns the other way. It's not, nothing like that. God can take our brokenness, and says, I can turn that around for my glory. There is hope for you. There is hope for me because no matter where we've been and what we have done, God to take that curse and says, you are my consecrated. I have chosen you for greater works for my glory. 
One thing about this call was that they could not amass wealth. Their income or a source of provision was from tithe and offering and gifts. Which means, but don't get me wrong, I don't know poor rabbis in New York. Okay? I'm just saying. I, I did a study. They're not poor. Okay? I was looking up some uh, income, like average income of pastors and, and clergy across the country. And I tell you, there is like the average income, was, it was really sad. Evangelical pastor was like 30,000, 40,000. Okay? I mean, you got some ones who are getting paid well and famous, but most were really low. At that time, it was like 30,000, 40,000. It was really pathetic. And then <laughs> the rabbis, <laughs> they're all in the six figure as an average. I was like, dang, I want to be Jew. <laughs> I'm joking, Lord, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know. 10% of the tithing of the Jewish community isn't that bad. So, uh, say, but in this context, the Lord provided. He goes, I would be their inheritance. That was, that was a point behind this. And they would not get a land like the rest of the tribes for agriculture, grazing, whatever. But they were appointed cities. And that's where we got to Joshua 21. So Joshua 21.1, it says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eliezer, the priest, and to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh, the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with our pasture land for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and the pasture land of their inheritance. And I don't have time, but I welcome you guys to read chapter 21, what tribe got what cities and all those things. There's, there's a whole list. But I could also even go, and even if I had the time, if I would tell you all that, unless you know the geographic locations of the ancient land, it really is like, you know, it goes over my head, right? But it is interesting. The summary here is that Joshua appoints 40, I think 48 cities. Yeah, 48 cities with pasture lands within the tribal territories, including the six cities of refuge. 48 key cities. That's what I want you to know. And there are portion in the different 12 tribal locations, geographic locations. Why is this significant? Did you know that an acre in New York City is a lot more expensive than acre out in the Midwest. You guys understand that? An acre in the city is a whoa, a lot more than big places. But here's the thing. God scatters the Levites all over Israel, fulfilling the curse of the Father. Indeed, Jacob says and prophesied, you're going to be scattered and divided. And, the, and God the Father says, okay, I will scatter them. But then he gives them the primo cities. And I want you to get this. Okay, cities are, is where the population is. It's where the action happens. Of course, the value of the land is greater. That's all great. But God is a lot more strategic than that. 
more than what we can imagine, just the reading the geographic portions that these Levites get. They're in the key locations in the garrisons, meaning, so if the, um, if you look at exactly where these cities, the cities are located, it's on the border of where the Canaanites or the local inhabitants are, meaning the local tribal leaders will have to make decisions. They'll have to set forts, garrison, be strategic, where the population is going to be. And he places the Levites right there. You guys follow me so far? Why is that so significant? He was placing the Levites as key strategic locations to be his mediators, to help, to bring the presence of God to these cities so that the local tribal leaders, the Israelites, can have victory because they're worshiping the Lord. And the whole uh, taking of the promise is a spiritual warfare. We share that in chapter 1, 2, 3, right? The commander of the Lord's army. This was a spiritual baptism of the land of Canaan for his people in judgment. And every battle was the Lord's. The Levites would lead the way. Even though they were not considered in the census as a fighting man, they were positioned there as the dwelling place of the pasture land. How great is that? Not only did God says, okay, I'm going to give you the cities, but in key cities, equivalent that to, let's say, the United States, we're talking Washington, D.C., where the key decisions are being made. We're talking New York, Chicago, the key cities where media and communications and the, um, yeah, the movies are shot. The central locations where the world is responding to what is being communicated, what is being decided, what is being done in that city, the Lord is positioning the Levites to be the key leaders to head that. When I read this, it's like, God is smarter than me. <laughs> but we recognize that. God is making moves, positioning his people long before people can even think that this is going to happen. Even when we think that God is not positioning, he is positioning. We're strategizing, we're listening to our prayer. He has been, and long before we even ask it. So the moment that you think, God, where are you? Don't you hear my prayers? God has already positioned his people in those places, in situations, your situation, because he has heard your prayer long in the future before you even say it. He has positioned his people. That's what God is doing. So when you think God is not really listening to you or saying no to you, it's because he cares about you. The reason he says no to you is because that's for your benefit. And because we don't know any better, we think, God, don't you care? Aren't you going to listen to my prayer? God, I asked for this, but you're not giving me this. Man, I am so glad that he said no to me sometimes. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad I'm not with so-and-so because I know I've asked that in prayer before. And you guys know, and I shared this, you know, my proposal with Sarah, and how God was the one who orchestrated. God was a matchmaker of this marriage. And we joked that God has a sense of humor because if we were in the same church, we wouldn't have dated each other. If we knew each other, we wouldn't have, like, chosen one another or dated. There's no way. 
So the only way for us to get married was just to get married without dating each other. That's what we did. It, it was the craziest thing. And I tell you, the first two years of our marriage, we questioned God. I said, God, you have a funny sense of humor? I don't know. Did we hear you right? No, really. We did. Then it, 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 it took a couple of years, but then it clicked. It, if I could snap my finger, I would. It clicked in a moment. Then I realized, oh my gosh, God's smarter than me. He positioned this couple, this such different male and female to be together and realize we complemented one another. My weaknesses were her strength and her strength, uh, her weaknesses was my, right? You guys get it. <laughs> I'm confusing myself. But we complemented one another. We couldn't have chosen one another because we're so different. But because God orchestrated it, it was a perfect match. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're brilliant. God is brilliant. God is far more strategic than anybody, you and I could ever. And if we're really honest, we would admit this. I'm reminded of Isaiah 55 eight. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is why he says no to you, because you don't know what you're asking. This is why he says no to you, because he cares about you. You don't know what you ask, or you don't know what you don't know, but God does. And he has been positioning people in situations for his perfect time. And God has a strategy for you, and I can tell you it's good. It's better than you think. I, I, I say that I, that should be a theme in all my sermons. That's better than you think, right? <laughs> but let me close with this thought, and I think this is pretty good. So in the Old Testament, the Levites were the consecrated ones of God who did priestly duties. Anything related with the tabernacle, the, uh, the temple, the worship practice, the praising, everything that pertained to worship unto the Lord, they were at the center and the key leaders who were appointed to that. But then, when Jesus died on that cross, you guys remember what happened? The veil was torn. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies, where we said that was the most holy place, that's the presence of God, and no secular man or woman could even enter in such a place except a chosen priest or when that veil was torn, we no longer had the need for priests or Levites. This is the good news, guys. I want you to know that then when Jesus was, had risen, he came back, and before he ascended, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. And then he commissioned, you guys know about this great commission, therefore, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You know what that means? He's sending you. He's positioning you into the cities where you live with the authority. And you know what that means? You are the Levites. You are the royal priesthood. 
You guys see the fulfillment of this? What the Levites were, the consequent one from the curse to the blessings of the Old Testament, you are the Levites of the modern day. You are the Levites of your city, in your house, in your family, in your city. You are the anointed, consecrated one with the authority. You are the portion. You are the royal priesthood. Isn't that good news? I think that's fantastic. Am I just the only one here that's getting excited here? Really? God takes the broken, the cursed, says, I will take that curse and reverse it and be you be my blessing. You be my source. He calls you salt and light. He calls you into the place. As Levites into the cities. The great commission is your commission as Levites of the 21st century. I think that's good. That excites me. Thank you. But let me tell you, it should not stay here. It goes from here to there. That excitement is here, and then it overflows out in our actions. Because the Levites were never to be a couch potato, because they had no TV. There was nothing to watch, okay? They had to get out and be in the city among the people to speak God's word, to lead people in prayer, to let people know that God is God and his ways are higher than our ways. And that is your commission. And whether we think that we live in the uh, city or in the country, I tell you, if you can drive to your grocery store in less than half an hour, you're in a city, okay? It's not the country as what we know as country. Even your boondock house is a city because we have more convenience and access than ever before. We have more population around us than the Israelites did in the city, in our suburbs. And I tell you, you have more authority than you know you have. And God is appointing you and sending you to glorify him. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.